Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God together. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever.
Father, we want to thank you that you are making all things new. We offer our praise and glory to you, and we rejoice in the privilege of coming together today. And we pray that you'd be glorified in our worship. We ask this through Christ. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. To those of you for whom this is applicable, happy Mother's Day. Uh, hope we have a great day, a chance to uh, spend some time with family uh, throughout this day. Um, I want to thank everyone who helped with work day yesterday, and the uh, church looks great, and I appreciate all the time, energy, and effort that went into that, especially to the trustees for organizing all of it. Uh, notice that next Sunday our worship schedule changes and uh, we go to services at 8.30 and 11 o'clock. So you got an extra 10 minutes starting next week. And uh, you see in the back of the bulletin the schedule over the next few months of worship times. Uh, also uh, available to you in the back foyer uh, is a booklet about the, uh, the election coming up on the 22nd that morning. And uh, feel free to take uh, one of those booklets, be in prayer over that, as well as there's a copy of the budget there. We'll also be uh, voting on that on the 22nd as well. And then that evening, the 22nd, we will be uh, gathering for our annual vision meeting, a uh, chance to uh, uh, just have a little bit of fellowship time, as well as to think about, to give thanks to God for what he's done in the past and what we're anticipating him to do in the future. Uh, so just uh, take note of that, and we hope that uh, you'll be a part of, uh, of that event, as, as well as other things that are happening in the life of the church. morning. Our scripture reading this morning is uh, in two, two passages, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, and Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Matthew chapter 28, 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. I don't think it takes much convincing to, for us to affirm that we live in a broken world. All you have to do is uh, pick up any daily newspaper, go into any uh, news website, just look around. And we see the brokenness all around us. This brokenness of our world is physical brokenness, emotional, spiritual, relational economic brokenness. It covers every facet of life. This brokenness, pain. We sometimes call it injustice. We sometimes talk about uh, the world that is corrupt and we see the sin of the world so clearly. It doesn't take much to convince us of that truth. And what we, it, sometimes it feels overwhelming. It does to me. You know, I read another news story, I see another 
uh, instance, and, and I just want to say, let's all gather in the church building and let's lock the doors and we'll just wait here until Jesus comes back. And we'll protect ourselves and we'll insulate ourselves and we'll just let things go and, and we'll just be God's people together here. And as sometimes appealing as that may be, that's not God's plan for his people. You know, God's plan for his people is, is something entirely different. When I look at the creation story, the one thing that keeps jumping out to me about this story is, among others, is that God creates human beings in his image. And as people are created in God's image, it means that we are intended, we are created to think like God thinks. And to see like God sees and to do what God does. And one of the things that God does continually throughout history is not to ignore the problems of the world or to run away from them, but to walk right into the middle of them with the intent of changing it. God's intent for his creation is life. It's relationship, it's healing, it's fullness. He says to Adam and Eve, after he creates them, now go forth and be fruitful and multiply. And I don't think he just means have a lot of children. I think he means as well, make the earth what I intended it to be. Make the earth a place of joy and hope and fulfillment and all of the good that I intended it to be. And of course, we know that sin is what's made the difference. Sin corrupted the world. And so God, in essence, says, let's do a different plan. It's still through his people he created, but this time he singles out a man named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, you follow me and I'll bless you. But it's not just to bless Abraham. He is blessing Abraham so that Abraham will be a blessing to everybody else. Last part of that promise that we just read in Genesis 12 is that I will, you, through you, I will bless all the families, all the nations, all the people of the world. God extends that message to Israel. And eventually, because of the failures of God's people through the ages, he sends Jesus. And Jesus, who is, John tells us, the very image of God, God in flesh, the incarnation of God, comes and he reveals who God is. And he comes to care about the world, to bring hope to the world, to bring healing to the world. And how is it he describes what he comes to do? In Luke chapter 4, Jesus' very first recorded sermon that we have, he goes to the synagogue in Nazareth and he pulls out Isaiah and he reads the passage from Isaiah and he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news. He talks about good news for the poor and the the lame walking and the blind seeing and, and the deaf hearing and, and people's lives being changed, transformed, made new. Jesus does what Paul writes about in Romans 8, that all creation is groaning for redemption, groaning to be restored. And Jesus comes to do just that. But that's not the end of it either. Because when we get to the end of Matthew's gospel... And Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He leaves his disciples with one final word. And he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I am giving you authority to go and make disciples. All the nations. Go and make the world what I intended it to be. And I think at the heart of that message for us, that in the midst of all the brokenness, Jesus is saying, I want you to walk into that mess, walk into the brokenness of the world, and I want you to be a source of hope, a source of life. And I think the calling on the church is to, is to create, as God creates, to create an atmosphere 
of shalom. An atmosphere of not just peace, because that word is so much more than peace, but it has a sense of wholeness. A sense of things that are broken, being fixed. Things that that are fractured, being healed and restored. All of the good that God intended at creation now is for us. And the reason we do that is not just about what God has done in the past, but it's about what we see in the future. Because when we, when we look to the future, we see God saying to us, I'm going to make all things new. And I'm going to put you on this new heaven and this new earth. And all things are going to be redeemed and restored. And we, in essence, are part of the answer to our own prayer that we pray so often. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our calling is to be people who bring hope into this world of brokenness. Who bring flourishing into a world of brokenness. People who care about what goes on in this world. People who care about broken, hurting people. Whether that's us sitting here or people all over the world. That's our calling. I doubt if we would argue with that. But the problem comes, and this is the problem that Israel had, and it's the problem that the church has had through the centuries, and it's the problem that we still have, is how do we go about doing that? How do we go about being a, a people who create an atmosphere of shalom in this world? People who create an atmosphere of hope, of flourishing, of life, of reconciliation and restoration, about bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. How do we go about doing that? I was reading not too long ago a book by Bill Greenway. Bill grew up here in Houghton and uh, went to the college here and now teaches at Austin Presbyterian Seminary down in Texas. And his uh, book that he's just written recently is called For the Love of All, All Creatures. And a lot of it's about creation and, and uh, the resurrection life and how that connects and the love of the world. And um, one of the things he talks about in that book is how you interpret God's word to Adam and Eve about what they're to do with the earth. In chapter 2, verse 18, and in chapter 1, verse 15, God says to Adam and Eve, I want you to go forth, I want you to, to rule over the earth, I want you to steward the earth, I want you to take care of the earth, I want you to, to be the, the caretakers of the earth. And there are two ways that people have interpreted that generally through the years. One way is to, is to interpret that as the what term that Bill uses is domination. Is that we dominate the earth. We rule over it. It serves us. And, ever, and, and we have the right to do whatever we want to do to make our lives easier, better, simpler. But there is another perspective that he talks about that he used the term dominion. And that perspective is one in which, yes, we still, we still have control over the earth, but we nourish the earth. And we care for the earth. It is a spirit of humility, a spirit of self-giving, a spirit of sacrifice. And when we're talking about the earth, we're not just talking about nature. We're not just talking about plants and flowers and trees. We're talking about culture. We're talking about what we do, about how we exist and how we live and how we relate to one another. And the, and the question that God's people have been have faced all throughout the centuries is do we do that in a way that we dominate people or, we, or do we do that in a way in which we humbly nourish people? And we've seen examples all throughout history. But the reality is the, the perspective of domination never seems to work the way we want it to. Every time people try to change the world, change the culture through dominating it, it always ends up backfiring. Because forced obedience is still oppression. And what ends up happening is people who force people to do what they want them to do 
always end up now creating another problem. But when we look at the idea of dominion, we have this sense of humility and self-giving and self-sacrifice. And here's the thing. This is a much riskier way to live. It's actually a much more difficult way to live. But when you read the Gospels, you see very quickly it's the way of Christ. Because it is the way of eventually that leads Jesus to the cross. When Jesus comes to earth, he has all the power in existence. And yet, how does he come as a baby? Gently. Humbly. Paul says in Philippians 2 that Jesus, though being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And as someone has said, every Christ-shaped initiative is always a cross-shaped initiative. It's a riskier way to live. Because it means that we humble ourselves and we give ourselves away and we serve and we're patient. We think more about how people will hear the gospel than about our just thinking about what's the best way for me to say it the way I want to. We're thinking about others rather than ourselves. When I was in, doing my... Uh, Preaching degree, I was, Haddon Robinson used to tell us over and over again that often you have to, when you're thinking about your sermon and how you, what you use and you don't use and how you say things, he's, one of the phrases that is stuck in my mind is, what you have to think about is not what you want to say, but what people need to hear. And I'll be honest with you, it's not always the same thing. Sometimes there are things that I want to say, but they're not best to say. Sometimes there are things I want to say and the way that I want to say them are not the best way. And why is that? Because they don't communicate. Because they put walls up instead of bridges. And it's a way that we have to think about the world. What's the best way for people to see this, to hear this, to understand the gospel? It's one of the things I loved about reading Lilius Trotter's biography. This woman who, who gave her life to the basically to the Muslim people of North Africa back in the at the beginning of the, at the end of the 19th century and the first 25 years of the 20th century. And one of the things she talked about often was how do these people hear the gospel? When, when we speak to them about Christ, how do they hear that? How do they process it? And she thought that way because she wanted to communicate in the way that people could hear and see, not just what was comfortable to her. And it made a huge difference. I read about a man named Viv Gregg, who was 28 years old, went to live in the slums of Manila. And he got an apartment there, a second floor apartment, and the, the woman who owned that building lived below him, and he, he described her as a hard-drinking, hard-living woman. And uh, here he was, this 28-year-old uh, white male from America, living among these, these poverty-stricken Filipinos. And every morning he would get up and take his water bucket out to the, to the faucet and fill up his bucket with water, line up with everybody else because at 6 o'clock the city shut off that water so they could get water to all the wealthier places of the town. And he lined up and, and the people were very skeptical of him and finally they asked him, why are you here? And he said, well, I'm a follower of Jesus who came to preach good news to the poor. And that's all he said. He just kept living with them caring about them, learning about them. Until one day, they said to him, so, when are you going to preach the good news to us? And he said, how about today? And a church was established. Because he was thinking more about how they hear and receive and understand than about what he wanted to say. It's about dominion, not domination. It's about thinking of others first instead of thinking what's easy and comfortable for us first. 
It doesn't mean that we don't have things to offer people. Hopefully, we have a lot to offer people, but we're concerned about how people hear it. We're concerned about how people see it. And our goal is to be able to communicate in a way that people will receive and accept and be open to. And that's what we see in Jesus. And that's the heart of the gospel. And that means that we have to allow people to be different from us. Everybody doesn't have to see things exactly the way we see them. Everyone doesn't have to think about things exactly the way we think about them. As if we have discovered all the answers. And if people would just see things the way we do, if they just think about everything the way we do, then life would be perfect. Let's be honest. It's hard not to think that way. But instead of lamenting our differences, we embrace them. I think for me, one of the most fascinating images that John paints for us in his revelation is in chapter 7, verse 9. And he says, when I looked, I saw in heaven people from every language and tribe and race and nation. That says to me that in the new resurrection, we will maintain our differences. We will, make, we, will, uh, we will look different, just like we do now. And maybe there are some things that we will think about differently, just like we do now. The difference will be now, we see those differences at, as things that divide us, whereas then we will see those differences that make us whole. And we'll learn from each other. And we'll want to learn from each other. And we'll want to know from each other. And we'll embrace each other's differences Because we're not trying to convince people. We're not trying to dominate people. I don't think there'll be any domination in the new life, new resurrection life. There will just be humility and love and grace and compassion and mercy. And if that's what it looks like then, then it seems to me that that would be our goal for what we want things to look like now. And in the midst of the brokenness of our world and our desire to speak into that brokenness and our desire to make a difference in that brokenness, our goal is not to get people to think like we do. Our goal is to help people to see Jesus. That's what we want to do. And so we live our lives in such a way that maybe through the grace of God, people can actually see Jesus in us. The hard part about this perspective is that you don't often get to see measurable results. You know, we, we do our best and sometimes we get to see measurable results. Sometimes we get to see the fruit of our labors, but often we don't. And as I was pondering that, I was thinking back to Hebrews chapter 11 and this great litany of people of faith. And in verse 13, the writer of that, of that book says, and all of these people didn't see the promise, but they kept being faithful anyway. Because it wasn't about seeing the promise, it was about doing what God had called them to do. It was about bearing the image of God into this world of brokenness and need. And then I was reminded of what Paul writes at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. This great litany about the resurrection and the resurrection of the body and all how it changes things and how it makes such a big difference. And it is the core of our faith. And he gets to the end of that and he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, keep working, keep living, Keep asking God to create his image in you and know that nothing you do for God is ever useless. Nothing you do for Christ is ever meaningless. You might not see the end result. You might not be able to measure it, but we trust and we believe that God is at work And that this is still the right way to live. The way of Christ. The way of the cross. And that brings us to this table.
if we needed no other evidence, if we had no other evidence, this table would shout clearly to us that the way of Christ is the way of the cross. And the calling of God's people is the way of the cross. At this table, we come in gratitude because we are here only because of what Christ has done for us. And somebody in our world helped us see that. Somebody communicated to us in a way that opened our eyes and our ears to see Christ. And we come to this table full of gratitude. But we also come to this table in thanksgiving that God has given us the privilege to bear witness to him in this world. That we have the privilege to be light in darkness. That we have the privilege to be hope in the midst of despair. That we have the privilege to, be, to create an atmosphere of shalom in a world of brokenness and need and hurt. And that will look different for all of us. And it will impact people right in our lives every day. It will impact, impact people all around the world. But we give thanks to God that we get to embrace the privilege and be a part of the privilege of bearing the image of Christ in this world to make a difference in the lives of other people and in the culture and in the wider world. And rather than that feeling like a burden, it's a joy because of what Christ has done in us. In the end of John chapter, 20, John chapter 20, he's writing about the resurrection. And, and in John's gospel, of course, he tells about the women being the first ones to the tomb and seeing it empty. And in John's gospel, he tells us that Mary Magdalene hung around the tomb trying to figure out what went on. And then she all of a sudden sees Jesus, only she doesn't know it's Jesus. And she looks at him and she thinks he's the gardener who takes care of that area. And of course, we know, and John tells us, she's wrong. But maybe she's not completely wrong. As I was reading recently, someone said, maybe, in a sense, she's right. Because Jesus is the gardener who comes and makes the world what it was created to be and brings beauty and joy and shalom and life and flourishing to this world through his death and resurrection. And he calls all of us to be little gardeners in this world. And the image in my mind is of a battlefield in the Civil War or or the or World War I when so much was fought hand-to-hand combat. And you see these images of these fields that are just nothing but mud and blood and bodies. It's one of the most despairing scenes you could imagine. And in my mind, in the middle of that field, you look out and there is one daisy poking its head up through that dirt and mud. And something about that one daisy changes your whole perspective about that field. Does it ignore the destruction? No, not at all. It just reminds us that in the midst of the brokenness, there's hope and there's life. And that we have the privilege of being a part of that. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy to us. For the privilege that we have of, of bearing your image in this world. Father, we thank you for the bread and the cup which we are about to partake. Thank you for what it means for us and for this world. Christ gave himself for us. Father, as we come and receive the bread and the cup, 
May we sense your blessing poured out upon these elements and may it be food for our souls and encouragement for our souls and a catalyst to be your people who walk into the messiness of our broken world as people of shalom, hope, flourishing, grace. We ask this through Christ. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning, we are receiving communion by intinction, which means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, eat it. And then you can return to your seat by the outside aisle. Altar rails always open if you'd like to stay and pray. We also have trays of bread and cups in the back. If, you, if it's difficult for you to come forward or you prefer, just simply let the usher know as your row is released, we'll serve you in your seat. And I also have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you would like those, just let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire to, to bear witness to Christ in this broken world, come, receive these gifts from our gracious, loving Heavenly Father.
Shame of 
collecting these jars for the last month and a half or so, and uh, a number of people have been asking me, what is this about, what are we going to do with them, and we haven't really said a lot, um, but today, we're going to find out. Um, about two months ago, I was uh, reading an article about uh, refugees uh, that were leaving, many of them came from Syria, and they were going... To, they went to Turkey, and then they were sailing the Mediterranean, often in very difficult circumstances, but on their way to Greece. And they were going to Greece because of the many places in that area, Greece was the one place the church there in Greece was saying, we'll take you, we'll help you. And for quite a while, as people would come to Greece, they would welcome them, they would feed them, they would house them, they would give them clothing, help them get settled, and then they would move them on into other countries of the European Union to settle permanently. Not too long ago, most of the other countries of Europe began to close their borders. But the Greek church kept saying, you need help and we'll help you. And I thought about that as I read this article. My heart was so deeply moved because, I mean, you know, the Greek economy is bad, really bad. And the people there don't have a lot. And yet the Christians there were saying, we'll sacrifice and we'll help you. And I thought in that moment, we have to do something about the refugee problem. And so we had done some inquiring in the months before that about could we host a family here? And unfortunately, the way the government has set up refugees coming to America, we are too far outside of the, of the circle. There have to be so many miles within a center, and we fall outside of that circle, so they wouldn't let, us, wouldn't let us settle them here. So that meant that our primary motivation, primary way we could help would be through financial gifts. But as I thought about that, I didn't want just to, just to be, we're going to give money. I want it to be more than that, something deeper than that, as important as that is. So the plan that we came up with was this. We, we have, we've got jars here, and in a few minutes, we're going to ask all of you to come up, and we'll give, give every family unit a jar, whatever your family unit is. If it's a mom, dad, and children, if it's a couple, if it's a single person, college student, whatever you are, whatever your family unit is, we want to give every family unit a jar. And what we're asking you to do is every week to just put $1 in the jar. Just $1. We really don't even want, I mean, if you want to give more, you can, but we're really just looking for $1. But as you give that, we have also created a booklet of um, a one page, with one page readings and scripture and prayers for each week. And this is going to go for the next 17 weeks, which will take us into the 1st of September. And then our plan is we're going to come on one of those early Sundays in September and everyone's going to bring their jars and we're going to have baskets and we're going to celebrate and we're going to all put our money together and then we'll send it to help refugees. 
And then we'll take our jars home with a new booklet and we'll do it all over again. And my dream is that while the money we collect is awesome and that's great and that'll be helpful, but my dream is that as we do this every week, something of God's spirit toward the world will get under our skin and get into us and it will change us. And whatever we think about refugees, whatever we think about people, something of that will be softened and we'll start having a heart of, of God toward needy people. I was, you know, you, you, I mentioned earlier about Jesus talking about you know, his mission to the poor and the needy and most vulnerable. And Jesus is not telling us something new. This isn't something new from God. He's been saying that from the beginning. Over and over again, the prophets remind Israel, this is what you're to be here. You're to be something different. And, and the prime, one of the primary ways that you are different is how you treat the most needy among you. And the refugee crisis, I'm convinced, has become one of the great moral needs, ethical needs of our world. And as Pastor Johnstone says, instead of seeing this need as a burden... We see it as an opportunity. And he quotes Paul in Ephesians, where Paul says that, that the gospel has, has gotten a hold of him, and we go and share the gospel, not in spite of the needs of the world, but because of the needs of the world. It's a privilege for us. So we're going to ask you to come up, and you can all come as a family unit or a representative from your family, and we're going to give you a booklet and a jar, but we're also going to give you our faith promise, a little booklet about faith promise, because this, too, is another way in which we serve the world. And we want you to think and pray about what you can trust God to give. And it tells you here who we're supporting. And the faith promise this year is all about our Wesleyan missionaries that we support and um, helping them. And um, you see uh, information here about it. Take this on the 22nd. We're going to collect these. So be in prayer about this as well. So you're going to get three things here this morning. So if you think one person from your family unit can carry all three things, great. If not, you can all come up. It doesn't really matter. But we want to be able to give you this stuff. And if you're watching on streaming, then we will be glad to get jars and booklets and the Faith Promise thing to you. Just let us know and we'll get those to you. And if you're not a regular attender of the church here, maybe you're just here visiting today. Participate. Take the jar. You can send the money back to us or send it to an organization that you know helps. But we just want this to be one way that our view of the world, bringing light and hope and flourishing, not only changes the world, but God uses it to change us. So as the folks who are going to help come up and get ready, I invite you to come, get your jar, get your faith promise booklet, and get your... Um, we're calling this Matthew 8.20 initiative booklet. And um, pray that God will do great things with this. And we're going to stand and sing as we do this.
Gracious Father, we want to thank you for your calling on our lives. As your people, we want to bear the image of Christ, to be hope and light and grace and healing through your Spirit. This morning, Father, we think about all the brokenness of the world, the needs that are way beyond us and the needs that are right around us. This morning, Father, we pray for those needs near us. We pray for people who are grieving today and ask for your mercy and your comfort on their lives. We pray for all who are struggling with issues of health and pray for your healing upon them. We pray, Father, for relationships that are broken and and ask that you would bring healing to those. We pray, Father, for our concerns about the future, next steps in our lives. We ask for wisdom and the ability to trust you in whatever comes. Father, we pray for the ministries of our church, and we thank you for the ministry of our children's ministry committee. Those who come together to help plan what we do in ministering to our children. And we pray that you would bless them and encourage them. And give them the creativity and the wisdom that they need. We pray, Father, for churches around us. And this morning we pray for the Belmont United Methodist Church and Pastor Hurd. And ask for your grace on their, this church. Uh, that they would continue to grow together. And that they would continue to be a light in their community and beyond. And Father, we pray for uh, our world. We think about this faith, the faith promise giving and the missionaries that are connected to it. We pray, Lord, that you will stir our hearts to take steps of faith. That we would be used by you to give more than we might have dreamed or imagined. And we pray for every one of these missionary families that you would bless them and encourage them in their work and all of their struggles. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, and we think especially of um, Tohar Gaidarov, Uzbekistan, who's been imprisoned for his faith. Lord, we pray that you will give him courage and protection, and that you will continue to, to work in his life, and that he might be a beacon of hope in the midst of very dark, difficult circumstances. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to give for the world. And we pray that you will take these jars and these booklets and the time that we give to them and do something miraculous in us and in the needs of refugees around the world. We pray, Father, that you would bless all of these folks who are in need and away from their homes and displaced. And we ask that you would bring grace and help and security blessing in their lives and give us the privilege to be a little part of bringing light into the darkness father thank you for hearing our prayers thank you for your grace upon us thank you for the privilege of witnessing for you of sharing your light of bearing the image of christ and we ask all of this through christ jesus the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.